ESPN Radio. Maybe the question isn't what has gone wrong for the Lakers, it's what's gone right for the Lakers. And it's Chris Carlin, Chris Canty on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on ESPN Plus. Hit us up on the Canty call in line, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. As always, we are presented by Progressive Insurance. When you want to know about the Lakers, you check in with ESPN NBA writer, Om Young Masuk, notorious O. HM on Twitter. Twitter. Ohm, what's going on? What up? What's up, Carlin? What up, Candy? What's up, man? It's good talking to you guys again. My own boy. <laughs> it's been a minute. It's been a minute. Listen, Ohm, I'm I'm a I don't want to say I'm a long suffering Lakers fan because we won a chip a couple of years ago, but I'm a very frustrated Lakers fan. So I'm gonna sign this next question that way. When it comes to what Russell Westbrook did last night, and I'm not talking about on the court. I'm talking about at the podium. I, I, I don't understand why he continues to take this adversarial position when, with the media when it seems like the questions that everybody is asking is valid because the expectations had to be high coming to a team that's led by LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So uh, when you when you see something like that play out, What is there to think about what this Lakers team can become the rest of the way in the regular season and in the play-in tournament? You know, when I was covering you and you were with the Giants, I don't remember seeing any Lakers stuff in your locker stall. (laughs) Uh, But but listen, I mean, you know very well when you're losing the way the Lakers have. Remember, the Lakers came into this season as a title favorite, not just a title contender, a favorite to win it all. They were built to go and win the Western Conference and it has been a disaster, uh, whether it's been injuries, 31 different starting lineups, nothing has worked. And so you are getting the same questions over and over and over again after every frustrating loss of why this is not working. And it's not just Russell Westbrook going at reporters. LeBron has done it a little bit, too. I mean, LeBron is as comfortable with the media as any in the history of the game. And so even LeBron at times has kind of gone at a little bit at, at uh, one reporter here in Los Angeles. So it's been uh, an interesting stretch here. And so with Russ, look, when Russ gets frustrated, it doesn't matter where he's at. If it is not like the line of questioning, he is going to go back at you and kind of question you. And so last night the questions were about, I think it literally started with, you've had success with your homecoming as far as coming back and returning to your hometown in Los Angeles. But it hasn't gone to the expectations that you probably envisioned on the court. And then Russ took exception to that, saying, well, what exactly were my expectations that I envisioned? And, of course, he was saying that the, that reporter was basically putting words in his mouth. And then finally came where he kept answering the same question of just saying, uh, is the season over yet? Is the season over yet? Meaning, like, you know, the season's not over yet, and there's still time to accomplish maybe whatever Russell Westbrook's expectations were for this season. Well, um, here's the one thing that I will say, and I know that you brought up injuries as a reason why the Lakers season has come off the rails. I just watched them lose to a Clippers team for the fourth time this season <laughs> that didn't have Paul George, that didn't have Kawhi Leonard. And it wasn't just losing. They got boat raced last night. The Clippers were up 29 in the third quarter. So I, I don't know how much I buy into the Anthony Davis injury being the reason why this team can't compete at a high level. There are other teams that deal with injuries, and yet they find ways to win. Last night, the Brooklyn Nets lost to a Miami Heat team without Kyle Lowry, without Jimmy Butler, without P.J. Tucker. 
they, they, they still lost to that team. So I don't understand why the Lakers keep pointing to the injuries as a reason why this team can't be more competitive. I'd love to see the fan come out here. Help me, help me, Ohm, because <laughs> yeah. I can't make sense of oh. it. I can't reconcile hey, hey, it. Help me make sense of it. Chris, Chris, we need to get you to a Laker game so and have you sit front row so you can yell at LeBron and Trevor Reza and Russell Westbrook and have those guys yell back at you and all get caught on video. I don't uh, have look, a problem doing it. Chris, I have you, no problem doing it. <laughs> I have Chris, no you're issue with all 340 right. pounds of me will be courtside to yell at him and let him know how much of an embarrassment it is. And don't talk to me about LeBron James being at the top of the league in scoring average. I don't want to hear it because it doesn't matter. You're a team that's one yeah. game in front of the New Orleans Pelicans for the 10th spot in the in the Western Conference. It's ridiculous. Oh, what say you? Chris. You are 100% right. If you look at last night, all you needed to do was look on the other side of the floor to what the Lakers need to emulate. And it's crazy to say that the Lakers need to emulate their hallway rivals, the Clippers. Laker fans don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear anything about the Clippers. But if you look at the Clippers, not only have they played without Kawhi Leonard all season long, they have not had Paul George since Christmas. They have not had Norman Powell, who they acquired right before the trading deadline. He's been out with an injury. They are working with guys that, you know, you would wonder. You, you didn't even know their names prior to the season, probably. Nick you didn't Batum know who Amir was Kaki out is. there putting in work on. Nick Batum. Look, Come on, man. Chris. Chris, at one point, Reggie Jackson, who had a career night on Russell Westbrook and company, he had 36 points. He was actually dancing to the in-game music while dribbling the ball and surveying the Laker defense. That's how hot Reggie Jackson was last night, and that's how embarrassing it was for the Lakers. Ty Lue has absolutely gotten the most out of this team, which has won five in a row, and has now created separation between the two teams for the eighth spot. Of course, the Lakers can get in a playing game, but they are sinking fast, and they only need to look to the Clippers to try to figure out, like, listen, it doesn't matter about talent. We have LeBron James. We have Carmelo Anthony. We have Russell Westbrook. We need to play the way the Clippers do, and they're not doing it. There's something very wrong with what's going on with the Lakers. Om Younger Sook, ESPN NBA writer, joining us right now. Um, just lay out the dynamic here for me. LeBron said he's committed to the Lakers, whatever. The dynamic that exists right now between LeBron, AD, Westbrook, Rob Palenka, and the organization in general, where are we in terms of a potential breakup with LeBron and the Lakers? Uh, look, I would say this. I know what LeBron said in the aftermath last week, but LeBron James, to me, is one of the smartest individuals in the history of the game and he doesn't say things without thinking them out beforehand. So all the stuff that he said over All-Star Weekend, to me, there's always a reason why LeBron James will say something. He just doesn't say anything. Very rarely does he say something carelessly without thinking it out. There are occasions. But for the most part, when it comes to his career and when it comes to what he wants, they usually are always kind of uh, there's there's a meaning, there's something behind it. So – I think we got to see what happens this season, how this plays out, uh, if this disaster continues, if somehow they don't make the play-in game, which would be, uh, you know, the most unbelievable thing ever considering entering the season, we thought this team could win it all. Um, you know, but I, I still think LeBron James probably wants to live in Los Angeles. You know, if it comes down to some sort of power struggle between LeBron James and Rob Palenka, I would say that Rob Palenka is very close to Jeannie Buss and Linda Rambis and those two 
are probably the biggest decision makers in the Lakers organization. So, you know, it will be interesting to see how this plays out, this power dynamic. Certainly about a week ago, it felt like LeBron and Clutch maybe were, you know, just trying to smooth things over by meeting with Rob and, and, letting, and letting the media know that LeBron doesn't want to go anywhere. But certainly if the Lakers ha- are, are bounced in the playing game, don't even make the actual playoffs, or they don't make the playing game, this will be an utter disaster, and we will have to check on the temperature of LeBron and the Lakers this summer, which will only get that much hotter. Um, last one from me. After watching last night's game and seeing the way that things have been trending, it's hard not to question the leadership on that team and in that locker room. And I get it, it starts with LeBron James, but there are enough veteran players on that team that should know better and should be able to galvanize the team in order to do better. I mean, it is the oldest roster in the NBA after all. But Shaquille O'Neal said something on Inside the NBA last night. He said that the Lakers players just don't care that they're losing. Now, I know that you watch every single one of these games. You're close to this team. You, you, you know people in the building. Do you agree with that sentiment from Shaq? I understand where Shaq is coming from. I think they do care. I, I think what Shaq is saying they is that they don't care. As, <laughs> yeah, I think Shaq is saying they need to care more, that they need to take these losses a lot harder than what they're taking them. I mean, look, at, at last night at one point when the Lakers were down 30, I could see in LeBron's face how frustrated it was and how embarrassing this was, you know. But I think, I think Shaq wants to see, you know, this play out where somebody gets angry and does something about it, whether, you know, there's some sort of friction in the locker room or anything like that, old school, you know. Settle it in the locker room. If guys are on the same page, you know, maybe sometimes there's a fight, anything like that. And maybe that hasn't gotten out in the media yet. I think LeBron just wants to see these – I mean, Shaq wants to see these guys care even more. And I think that's maybe that's his point. You know, look, I, I, I think they care. I think they want to win. But I think you hit it on the, on the nail on the, on the coffin here, you know, which is basically the leadership. It's just, this is unbelievable for me to kind of fathom that a Lakers team like this can sink with LeBron James kind of running the ship. And I don't want to have to put everything on LeBron James. But if we're going to talk about LeBron James in the conversation of one of the greatest of all time, you also talk about his leadership skills. And it's really hard for me to understand why this team is struggling so bad with LeBron James on the team because he's supposed to be the guy that gets everybody together on the same page. And I understand some things might be out of his control. I get it. But to me, I just still have a really hard time wrapping my head around this with all the years I've seen in the NBA seeing this Laker team struggle with LeBron James at the head of it. You get the insight. The man is plugged in like a space heater. He's on Young Basuk, ESPN NBA writer, and giving you everything you need on the Lakers right there. Oh, it's okay. I almost feel like maybe you were Chris's Laker pillow that he was punching there for a minute or two. I appreciate you letting me get that out, my homeboy. I appreciate that. Oh, no, no. See, I, I, I could sense it. I was ready to let you vent, so it's all good. I wanted you to get that all out, Canty. My man. But don't ever question my Lakers fandom again, though. I don't appreciate that. <laughs> I, I rolled through some very lean years at the end of Kobe Bryant. Don't do that to your boy. I won't. I won't. All right, all right. Awesome stuff. Om Young Masuk, ESPN NBA writer with Chris Carlin. Chris Canty on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. The NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in Sunday. The Bucks. Hosting the Suns, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins 3 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Up next, 
We actually just saw something in this last five minutes that you never get to see, and you need to appreciate what just happened. Plus, can Kyler Murray actually make a career change if things don't go his way? We'll fill you in next. It's Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. ESPN Radio. Now we have Kyler Murray. He doesn't follow the Cardinals anymore. If you are part of the Cardinals organization, what are you thinking right now? We've given this dude everything that he needed to be successful. If he hasn't been successful, that's a him problem. Why would you not follow your team that you play for on social media? Because it's just a stupid ploy, that's why. It's Chris Carlin, Chris Canty. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Look, I I can't get all that wrapped up in Kyler Murray and where he stands right now for the Cardinals. But in the moment, you have seen him and the team go back and forth this week. His agent releases a statement that is incendiary in a lot of ways. And it's very early on in the process because right now is the first time that he's even eligible to discuss a long-term contract extension with the Cardinals after his third year. Then the Cardinals turn around and the GM and the coach get a a four-year extension, basically, or a five-year extension through 2027, which is basically a big screw you to Kyler. So disrespectful. Absolutely. So disrespectful. So then his, Chris, today we hear something that is just patently absurd. Well, I think it's best if I let Adam Schefter tell you what really is patently absurd. If Kyler Murray doesn't get a new contract, then we're going to start hearing more and more about baseball as an option. We'll see if that comes into play here. But his head coach has been extended. His general manager has been extended. He wants to be extended. We'll see whether or not he gets that long-term deal. Yeah, here's the deal, okay? Does Kyler Murray think that the executives for the Arizona Cardinals are idiots? Uh, Yeah, well, no. All this was... Does he think that the people in the media are idiots? After the patent disrespectful move, patently disrespectful move of those extensions for the GM and the coach, all this was was Kyler Murray's agent reaching down into his bag of tricks to see what he's got left, and there ain't much there. And he pulls it out. Oh, he used to play baseball. He was in, he was a first-round pick of the A's, ninth overall pick. You know what? We'll go play baseball. Stop it. You're not going anywhere to play anything because in baseball, if you want to make that money, first of all, you have to prove you can hit in the major leagues, which is no given. And secondly, you're not making that money for six years. Please stop. Well, yeah, because a team can manipulate your service time. So the the time you get to a free agent. And if anybody's going to manipulate your service time, it's the Oakland A's. Yeah, I mean, the Oakland A's, (laughs) when we start talking about payroll in 2020, they had the 25th highest payroll. 2021, they were 23rd. This, this this upcoming year, if they even have a baseball season, they'll be 23rd. So you're with an organization that doesn't pay guys top dollar. So that's absolutely ridiculous. Furthermore, to your point, you're talking about teams being able to hold on to your service time, manipulate your rights as you work your way through the minors. First of all, going through the minors is one thing. I, I don't let, know. Let me Ky- tell you something. I don't know that Kyler Murray wants to sign up to do that either. Just quickly, my first job at a college was three years of minor league play by play. Kyler Murray ain't living that minor league life. Exactly. He is not riding the bu- the buses in the middle of the night and staying at the Oasis Motel in Oneonta, New York. That is yeah. not happening. But say, for instance, you do get to the show. 
Okay, say for instance you do get there. You're talking about three or four years before you're going to have an opportunity to make big money, and who knows what kind of baseball player you're going to be. But what I can tell you is this, if you wait two or three more seasons and play quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals, you're going to be talking about a contract that's going to pay you, I don't know, north of $40 million a year. The highest paid baseball player on average annual value is Max Scherzer, Carlin. He makes $43 million a year. He's got a three-year deal. He just signed it with the Mets. The second highest player, you're talking about that being Mike Trout. And he makes $35 million. Oh, Garrett Cole and Mike Trout. $36, $35 million a year. If, if you're Kyler Murray, you're already going to supersede those guys and what they're making on average annual value on their deals when you sign your extension with the Arizona Cardinals. So it just doesn't make sense to decide that you're going to play baseball and deal with the unknown of what kind of baseball player you're going to be versus play quarterback in the National Football League where you know you're going to be a 40-plus million-dollar-a-year guy. It just makes no sense. And we've seen it because Dak Prescott just got paid $40 million a year and nobody is out here saying Dak Prescott is a top-five quarterback. That is the going rate, and it's only going to go up when Lamar Jackson signs his deal, when Joe Burrow after this season signs his deal, when Justin Herbert after his season signs his deal, Derek Carr gets a new deal, Aaron Rodgers gets a new deal. All of these guys getting new contracts is only going to make the quarterback market go up. So if you're Kyler Murray, stop with the ridiculous threats that you're going to pay baseball because you're not. We don't even know if we're going to have a damn baseball season. Look, there's one place where Kyler Murray is going to have any kind of leverage, and that's by going out and playing at an even higher level this year at elevating the Cardinals into an even further uh, spot in the postseason, and at that point, they don't have a choice. Look, if they don't want to pay you right now, that's fine. Make them pay more later. Because I, while I get it, when you're in this position and the NFL with the money not guaranteed, you want to go and get as much as you can while you can, and I will never fault you for that in the league. If they're not going to do it, there is not a reason for you right now after just year three to go off the deep end and go nuclear. Here's what I will say to that, just to push back. I get what you're saying. There's a way for you to build up your leverage, but you have to incur all the risk in the process of doing that. And with most position players, I would say that's just what it is, except that's the nature of the business. But when it comes to quarterbacks, we've seen that they can dictate to organizations because they mean more. But what choice does he have right now? Well, hold it. Hold in. Hold in. Don't play. You show up for training camp, you don't practice. But let me ask you this. There's something wrong with you. Whatever it is, hold in. All right, Chris, he holds in. Yeah. All right? He holds in. My hamstring's tight. Yeah. I'm not playing in the preseason. Yeah. Who does that help? Well, it helps him. Does it? It helps because, him. Because at, some, at some point, they're going to have to pay him or they're going to have to move him. Either way, he's going to get his money. I, and, but he's Either gonna, way, he's going to get his money. I, I think the Cardinals are going to ride that out. And I think they're going to end and up. And that's great. They're going to ride and, it and, out. And that's great, Carlin. But all the rest of the payroll, all the money that they've got in their salary cap, what is that going to be worth to them? You're you're going to be willing to ride that out and not pay Kyler Murray on an extension and waste the other $180 million that you're spending in salary. That's a great plan. But if you have a, is Kyler Murray, if he doesn't get an extension, not going to play next year? The 
the only thing that a player can do, the only leverage that a player can exercise over a team without playing games is withholding services. I understand that. But That's the only he, way but to do it. You can't hold out anymore. You're going to hold in during training camp. If he's going to go and play during the season, not being ready during training camp is not going to help him have a better year. So all the way around, I'm saying this. In a lot of ways, at the moment, he's damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't. He doesn't have a winning way out of this proposition. And that's where we disagree on. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Should Kyler Murray hold out for the contract now? Or should he be back on the field since it's just after year three? Is he right to actually go and try to get that money now? Want to hear from you on it at 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Up next, though, It is a huge weekend for one of the all-time greats, and we're going to be saying at least a formal goodbye at this point. But we're going to examine the coaching legacy of Mike Krzyzewski and really where his biggest impact has been. It's Canty, Carlin, ESPN. ESPN Radio. Chris Carlin, Chris Canty on ESPN Radio. And on the ESPN app, as well as your smart speaker, play ESPN Radio. Coach K in his final regular season game at Cameron Indoor West Durham of Packer and Durham, co-host on the ACC Network. You can follow him on Twitter, at West Durham. And Wes and his family, his father Woody, the longtime voice of the Tar Heels at Carolina. Uh, he has been in and around Duke, Carolina and Duke basketball for a long, long time, and he joins us right now. You've got number four, Duke, taking on Carolina tomorrow night. Coverage beginning on ESPN at 6 p.m. Wes, we appreciate a few minutes, and this is um, a monumental occasion to say the least. So when you think of Coach K, as much as I'm sure you have this week, what are the first things that come to your mind? Well, obviously, well, first of all, it's great to be with you guys, uh, Carlin. Thanks for the invite. Um, I, obviously, success is number one, right? I mean, you don't pile up the wins and the national championships if you're not doing it the right way and, and having great success. But I also think, too, that there is a finality to this. And believe it or not, this week, I, I've often come back to the thought of, is this the last guy we're going to see coach at any level 40 years at a at one place and have this kind of dynamic success. I, I'm just not sure. When I say the end of an era at Duke, I'm I'm not sure we're not talking about the end of an era in sports here. When you think about it, right? I mean, I don't know how many coaches in, in major college athletics or the pros are going to go the way that Mike Shishetsky has here. And so tomorrow night could very well be not only the the changing of the guard at Duke and certainly in the ACC in college basketball, but you know this guy set quite a standard and imposing standard for uh, longevity and success in anything athletically related, I think, in this country for sure. And Wes, I mean, you you perfectly encapsulated my thoughts about Coach K because I've only ever known Coach K as the guy <laughs> at Duke. You know what I'm saying? I'm 39 years old, sure. and that's all I've ever known. Coach hey, he's K, a Virginia Coach guy, K too. is synonymous <laughs> with Duke basketball. And so it makes me think about the legacy that he has, the five natties, the 12, nat- national cha- uh, the 12 Final Four appearances. But with a win right. tomorrow night, Coach K would pass Dean Smith for the highest home-winning yep. percentage. When you reflect on that, 
being connected to the Carolina Hoops program like you are, what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, Chris, you know, and you grew up in Charlotte, right? I mean, you remember the the Carolina Duke thing when you were born, what, early 80s, I'm guessing? I mean, yep. you know, it's a – yeah, I mean, Carolina Duke was almost in full throttle by then. Um, and to me, you know, Coach K and Coach Smith, and, you know, I grew up certainly with my dad doing the games, and then I went to Georgia Tech in 95 to start doing the games there, so I kind of got to see, you know, the tail end of Coach Smith's career and then the merge and – you know, following the 91-92 title for, for Duke, I kind of got to see this thing merge to where the simpatico of both programs, they grew more alike than different, right? I mean, let's be honest. The fact that we're talking about 100 former players being at that game line tomorrow night. Well, when Coach Smith broke Adolph Rupp's record, the 97 NCAA tournament at Winston-Salem, there were about 75 to 100 former players there to watch him set the all-time, what at the time was the all-time wins record. Um, both guys, you know, created a real family atmosphere about their program. They built legacies of winning. They built legacies of academic success. They won championships. So, you know, and I've said this week on our TV show that Duke and Carolina needed each other. They, they kind of made each other better, if that makes sense. They, everybody talks about, well, they're rivals and they're eight miles apart. Yeah, but you can keep an eye on the other guy when they're eight miles apart, and you can – emulate the guy the the other thing too that i i respect is is that the journey dean smith had as carolina's basketball coach was very similar to the one mike krzyzewski had you guys go back and look at the first three years mike krzyzewski coached duke okay it didn't go great that's why the documentary that jay billis and those folks did is so meaningful because it encapsules why duke has become this brand name in college basketball Dean Smith did the same thing at Carolina after some struggles early. I, I think that at the end, they have created, you know, one of the great brands in college sports. And certainly it helps that you've got somebody nearby, Candy, as you know, that, that kind of forced you to stay there, right? They, you know, they were good for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's a big part of what happens tomorrow night. And it also, to me, says, okay, with all these things going on, Duke still has to win the game, right? And they beat Carolina 20 a month ago, and you expect them to win the game. But we've all seen enough moments from Duke Carolina to say, okay, let's see what happens once they get on the floor and start running up and down. West Durham, co-host Packer and Durham on the ACC Network. Special two-hour college game day from Duke, beginning at 10 tomorrow on ESPN. If you asked him, Wes, what's the greatest game he ever coached? Oh, gosh. Wow. Um, I would probably say the Vegas semifinal in Indianapolis in 91 would have Mm -hmm. to be somewhere near the top, right? Um, To me, that's the – look, the Leitner shot against Kentucky is like this standalone thing, correct? But Mm -hmm. in terms of a game, I mean, Vegas beat them 30 in 1990. I mean, they were leg crossing at the under twelve media timeout in the second half in Denver that night. I mean, they took they took that crowd out. They were waving towels and wearing T-shirts at the under eight media timeout in nineteen ninety, and they were undefeated. Chris, you know, I mean, they showed up at the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis undefeated, and Duke beat them. And you know, the fact they beat them in ninety one, and then they turned around and beat the. The Fab Five in '92, I guess it was, to win the the title in Minneapolis the next year. That's 
you know, that's kind of the way they became. And, and I thought John Feinstein said it really well in the documentary that aired last week on ACC Network. That's kind of when Duke put the black hat on, you know. I mean, Canty, you grew up in Charlotte. That You feel that way? I mean, that's when they had Leitner and Hurley and Hill. Yep. And, you know, they became the rock show. I mean, that was like going on tour now. I mean, wherever those guys went, there were people showing up at the hotel and doing all that. I would say the Vegas game, though, Carlin, in, in 91 at Indianapolis would have to be up there. The other thing that I don't think I don't think we can ever lose sight of this quickly is is the job he did in revitalizing USA basketball. Either I, I think that that the work he did there with multi multi millionaires should never be taken for granted because he put a bunch of personalities together and made those guys go too. That's a great point about the black hat because I mean you had a couple of players that were just so hateable. And, yep. and, you know, in, in, in Leitner, you really did. In yep. Leitner and in Hurley, you'd somehow, after what had happened the year before, I mean, I remember that like it was yesterday, that, that semifinal mm. in 91. Wes, awesome stuff. It's going to be an unbelievable atmosphere at Cameron Indoor tomorrow. We appreciate a few minutes. Sorry, anytime, and I'm just glad that I don't have to talk about Canny crushing the Georgia Tech quarterback while I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> West Durham, Packer and Durham, co-host on the ACC Network. There's a Coach K curtain call taking place at 6 p.m. on ACC Network, and this morning that 91 semifinal was on, yep. and I watched that for a good few minutes. I I, I actually shouldn't remember it because I had a few beers of me watching it when it happened. I remember playing as gay watching it at the time and just being absolutely blown away that this was the same team that lost by 30 the year before. Yeah, so I remember hearing it because I was stuck in traffic in my parents' car on the cross broads. But I remember <laughs> hearing the call on Leitner in that shot, turning around at the free throw line after the three-quarter courts pass and nailing it to send them on their way. So it's just it's one of those things that he's absolutely right. That was the time when Duke basketball went from being the hunters to the hunted and everybody hated them. And it feels like every single year they roll out one of those point guards that you hate, whether it's Bobby Hurley or, you know, Steve Wojciechowski, you know, just all of those. Grayson Allen. Like, this seems like there's always a – Jay Williams. Jay Williams. (laughs) There's always a Duke – well, we love Jay Williams around here. But there's always a Duke point guard that you love to hate. And that's a part of the mystique of the program. Up next – I teased it earlier. Something that you heard just a little while ago that you never get to hear. Plus, find out what the most embarrassing sports moment for my co-host was during his playing days. Because there was a pretty embarrassing moment yesterday for somebody. It's next. It's Cantia Carlin, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. ESPN Radio. Earlier... We had plenty of Laker talk with Om Young Misuk of ESPN, who, of course, covers the NBA. Chris Carlin, Chris Canty on ESPN Radio. And you got to hear something that you just never get a chance to really enjoy. We always hear from professional athletes, and, uh, you know, you there are times, and I understand why the professional athletes will roll their eyes at fans and the media and things that they're going to say, but you saw... A professional athlete in Chris Canty going full into fan mode. It happened. When he got on with Ohm on the Lakers. And I swear, you had the look of rage that every fan has when something goes horribly wrong and they're frustrated with their team. Yeah, it's one of those things, man. You you like to think you're a professional and you realize in certain moments you're not because you're talking about your team. 
and I try to be objective, but that's next to impossible with the Lakers. But you are not a guy that I ever think would lose any sense of reason. And, like, I, I thought for a moment you went over the – not over the line, but to the – came to the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with the sit behind the bench, and I'll tell LeBron, and I'll tell AD. And I'll stand up I'll and stand do it. I'll stand there and do it. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's, – it's frustrating because I'm sitting there helpless as a Lakers fan – Watching this team, and it was a it was a relatively close game in the first half, and then whatever happened at halftime, the Clippers just kicked it into another gear, and the Lakers never responded. And you would think a team that has LeBron James, especially LeBron scoring at the clip that he is, would be more competitive than they were in the second half. And that's why I questioned their leadership. It was an embarrassing moment. For me, with Ohm in that interview, but it was even more embarrassing with what the Lakers did. Well, and that wasn't Ru- embarrassing and then, and, then Ru- and then Russell Westbrook took it to a whole other level with the post-game yes. press conference. Well, it wasn't embarrassing for you. It was funny. It was good. No, it was embarrassing yeah. for me. No, it's good to see you. It's good to see that you have that fan in you. It's Well, I love sports. I, I know. Mean, we, don't but do, we don't do this unless we love sports. I, I know, but at the same time, you know, we're supposed to be rational. And I'm never <laughs> rational. And then on the flip side, so so this was this was interesting. Carlin and Canty on ESPN Radio. John Rahm, the professional golfer, missed a putt from ten inches at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Shortest miss this year on the PGA Tour. Incredibly embarrassing. What was your most embarrassing moment on the field? Okay, so this is an easy one for me, and it wasn't even something that I did necessarily. Well, I guess I was a part of a defense that blew a 21-point lead to the Philadelphia Eagles in MetLife Stadium in 2010. But the most embarrassing moment in that game was when our punter, Matt Dodge, took the field. And I was right next to Coach Coughlin, who grabbed Matt Dodge before he went on the field. And he said, don't kick it to Deshaun Jackson. Kick it away from Jackson. Kick it out of bounds if you have to but don't kick it to Jackson. So, of course, what happens? Line drive kick to Deshaun Jackson. Line drive. And I, I guess it ended up benefiting them because he bobbled the ball, and the first wave of defenders just came past him. He picked the ball up, and I saw him. As soon as he cracked that first wave, I knew he was gone. And Tom Coughlin just slammed the clipboard because we all knew what was going to happen. He was going to house it. It was a walk-off on a punt return. Now, whoever had that on the bingo card, God bless you. You probably should have played the lotto right after that because the NFL games never end that way. But that was the most embarrassing moment for me, probably the most embarrassing moment for Matt Dodge because he didn't end up punting in the NFL after that year. After that year. And this guy was a six-round draft pick. So that was my most embarrassing sports moment. I will never forget Todd Coughlin's face when that happened and him grabbing Dodge coming off the field. Absolutely amazing. KD's back for the Nets. Are they flirting with disaster? That's next.